0: Hi, uh, John Morgan. I'm Mark Harper with the Daytona Beach News Journal. I'm welcoming you here to our uh, office, and I wanted to uh, ask you a few questions. Uh, uh, obviously, you're mulling a uh, uh, dip in your toes into the, the political ring, thinking about running for, for governor, possibly. Um, and, uh, but before I get into your background and your future, uh, I wanted to ask you about your connections to Volusia County. Uh, okay. From what I understand, you own a home or some property here. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever kind of considered Volusia County your home, but I, I know you've kind of had some ties to the area for quite a while, and I just wondered if you could tell me a little bit more about that.
1: I've had a place here for... 28 years. Okay, I had a condominium. Then I had another condominium. Right now, I have uh, a condomin- I have two condominiums, and I have two homes side by side in uh, Ponce Inlet, Florida. I tell people all the time. I, s- I said this beach is probably the nicest beach in the world, and we and we're right here. So it's so I don't consider it home, although it's 40 minutes from my doorstep in lake mary to here so it's i'm, I'm here probably four months at least uh, in october i live here in april may i live here i'm here an awful lot
0: um and uh just you, you mentioned the beach as part of the appeal i guess I uh, wanted to just get a sense of, uh, you know, what you think of this community. Obviously, it's, part, it's your second <clears throat> home. It's
1: my second home. It's very well. I mean, when I go into Publix, I feel like I'm, you know, at a family reunion. Uh, either Any Publix I go to. And I know so many people over here. So I've been coming here. I moved down here in, high, in junior high. So I've been going to New Smyrna Beach from my high school and college days. So I have grown up on the volusia beaches my children surf here mm. it's it's as much it, it's as much a part of me as my regular home in lake mary mm.
0: um just to review a little bit of your background you uh you're born in kentucky you're 61 years old right you moved to orlando it set on your bio in 1971 right. i was curious what high school did you go to in orlando winter park high okay and, uh, just tell me a little bit about, I mean, you mentioned, uh, this morning or earlier today, you were at a, a Tiger Bay club event, uh, speaking to, uh, uh community leaders and members of the Tiger Bay club here in, in Daytona beach. And you mentioned briefly your, your grown up days in Kentucky and, uh, you know, uh, I guess it was a far cry from where you're at today. Yeah. Uh, but uh, tell me a little bit about how you ended up in Florida. What your family um, kind of what, what brought your family to Florida?
1: Well, my dad was a guy who had lots of jobs. He drank probably too much. Uh, lost job after job after job, and then he got a job in Florida. <clears throat> we were destroyed by it because we had all of our. I was fourteen. And uh, we moved down here to a you know a house that was nowhere near what we'd had before, mm-hmm. and so it was a devast it was a devastation. <clears throat> uh, but it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me because the house was zoned in uh, Orange County, Florida. I went to Maitland Junior High, which was a great high, great Junior High. Went to Winter Park High, and so as bad as moving was, it turned out to be determinative for my life
0: uh you were able to go on to the university of florida uf law school and by 1984 you were a lawyer you were about 28 what 28 or so
1: 27 uh
0: tell me a little bit about your life in the early days as a lawyer um or i guess really before you were a lawyer uh i think during the speech this morning you mentioned being a paper boy at some point tell me about some of your jobs i was a
1: paper boy i had a I've, I've always had a job I've always had a job I uh, uh, had a paper route sold Christmas cards in Kentucky when I got down here uh, I got a job at a, at a Dairy Queen I got a job at a Winn-Dixie I went out to Walt Disney World and uh, I'd been kind of like a little amateur magician uh, in Kentucky and I got a job working in the magic stores doing magic at Disney. I got, uh, when I got out there, somebody asked me if I was interested in being a character. I got to be a character. I was King Louis when I was Pluto. And so those days at Disney were fantastic. Uh, During Christmas, I'd work those jobs, and I'd also go over to UPS, throw boxes at night, come back over to Disney. I could make enough money. I could make enough money during my winter break to have enough money to go back to school on. And then when I graduated from college, I uh, sold Yellow Pages for like 18 months, and it was a staggering amount of money that we were paid for a 21-year-old kid. And uh, I took all that money that I made selling Yellow Pages, and I went back and went to law school, and thank God I had enough money from selling Yellow Pages. I never borrowed any money to go to college
0: were you planning to go to law school like yes early as high school or whatever
1: <clears throat> i was planning to go to i was mm-hmm. always i was you know terrible in math terrible in science but i loved debate i loved speech i loved all that i knew i couldn't be a cpa i knew i couldn't be a doctor i loved the whole so i knew i was going to be a lawyer
0: mm-hmm. um And also, there's, a I think, a story you tell on some of the commercials or you've told about, um, you know, being attracted to the law because of some family circumstances. Is that correct?
1: Well, every time my dad would lose his job, he'd come home and you'd, you'd see his car out in front of the house and he shouldn't be there. And he'd be sitting there with the one ads and he would say to us, whatever you do, be a professional. If you're a professional, nobody can fire you. And that was just seared into us all. I was the oldest, and I kind of seared it into the others that we wanted to be something where we weren't beholden to one person or one company who could just fire us if they wanted to.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Was that part of your thinking when you decided to start your own law firm in 1988?
1: Actually, I started it in '85, but okay. uh, the first one. Uh, no, my my thinking was just to be a lawyer. I just I just wanted to be in a profession that I could that that I could never just be thrown out on the street. Mm-hmm. That I could always go put something up. So I started Morgan and Morgan in '88. Before that, I worked at a law firm called Billings and Cunningham. That I worked at, I started a firm in 85 called Griffin Morgan Linder. And then I split away from them. I wanted to advertise on TV. They did not. And so mm-hmm. I left them.
0: What was the name of that firm?
1: Griffin Morgan Linder and Adler.
0: All right. Well, just for the record, I'll say I've never heard of Griffin, Linder, or Adler <laughs> um, as to advertising. Yes. Um, I guess I'm wondering if you think back uh, to the early days of Morgan & Morgan, can you point to uh, any particular lawsuit that really kind of made your company or sort of was the catalyst for good things to come in terms of successful business? The first big
1: case was uh, at Griffin Morgan Lender, it was a case called David Vega. Very difficult case, there was coverage issues and there was liability issues and uh it was an 18 year old boy who'd been hit from behind on the street and was co- uh, paraplegic uh, they thought there was only a hundred thousand dollars in coverage but ultimately i pierced through the insurance got to the to the uh company got got insurance and we settled the case for millions of dollars and to this day, David Vega, he's now, you know, he was 18 when this happened, but he's now very financially secure. I saw him a few years ago, and uh, that was my first big, big, big case.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to also ask about the, the television advertising. It's, it's obviously one of the reasons most people seem to recognize you on yeah. the street. Uh, you you started advertising with Morgan, Morgan and Morgan and
1: I started advertising with Griffin Morgan Lender. What okay. we did is we said uh, they did. My partners were you know were kind of were were conservative Republicans. Terry was the general counsel for the state Republican Party. They didn't want to advertise in a community where they were known. Uh-huh. So we went up to Ocala. We tried it. It was really a disaster because we weren't there we had no controls Uh, after a year they said look we've we've tried it it didn't work i said it does work and what i agreed to do was to take the cases and the line of credit that we would borrowed on and took off and started my own firm at that point in time
0: Mm -hmm. um yeah, it was. I, I imagine that was maybe the toward the earlier days of lawyers advertising on <coughs> TV. Oh yeah, and that was pretty controversial for a while. Very. Yeah,
1: uh, Bates versus Arizona was a case that allowed lawyers to advertise on television. Most lawyers didn't. You know, people were surprised that I did because I'd been at the University of Florida. I'd been kind of a, a conservative. You know political type guy, Florida Blue Key, Uh, but I just saw it clearly. I was going around, and the lawyers who were advertising, I was calling on them and telling them, you know, give me your scraps. Let me try the cases you don't want to try. Give me your difficult cases. Give me everything you don't want. And I was living off of their scraps Mm -hmm. and, and doing pretty good. And I just thought, you know, this train is leaving the station. I could either jump on it right now in '85, or miss the whole the, the whole shooting match, and so that's what I did. Um,
0: yeah, I'd be hard pressed to uh, find somebody who's unfamiliar with uh, your message uh, around here, anyway, yeah, in Florida. For the people. Uh, for the people, um, which really is a political, you know, like it kind of has a, a political campaign ring yeah. to it. Um, how did you? Come up with that or what? Tell me the story behind that.
1: I knew I was going to, I knew at the time I knew I wanted to, I wanted a branding statement and a mission statement. And I didn't want it to be more than three words. And I wanted to say it all. And I really thought long and hard about it. I got down to two choices. One was, uh, for the people and one was, uh, justice for all. And the reason I went with For the People instead of Justice for All is I was worried that some people may not be able to spell justice (laughs) and that everybody would be able to spell For the People.
0: Uh, Well, you ended up using both probably, I think, at different times. At different times, yeah.
1: Um, And then the Internet came along, and I immediately got that URL, ForThePeople.com, which turned out to be, you know, very, very good for me.
0: I think the other thing about your commercials, too, is that I I personally love the way you say the word lawyer. I guess you got some Kentucky in it.
1: (laughs) It's taken me a long time. When I first got here, when I was 14, I came down, and these little girls would come up to me at Maitland Junior High, and they'd say, are you the boy from Kentucky? And I'd nod my head yes, and they would say, say something. And I'd look at them and go, say something. And I'd go, what do you want me to say? And then they'd run away, you know, laughing their asses off. (laughs) So I'm now sixty one. It's taken me all these years and I still haven't cut it you know, enough.
0: Yeah. Um I wonder if um when when you were devising that, that slogan for the people, um, and, and really, I guess, early on in your career, did you ever kind of in your mind think maybe toward the back end of my career, I might be interested in politics?
1: I always liked politics. I always you know, enjoyed student government. Uh, I was always drawn to it, but I knew I was recruited to run when I was a young lawyer and my wife and I I remember going to per- they, they tried to get me to run for a seat that Bob Hadaway was vacating and uh, my wife and I after mass went to Perkins and we just basically said we got no money you know how, how can you how can we do this and have no money and raise a family so I thought and had thought for many, many years that it was, you know, kind of something I, you know, thought about years ago, but was nowhere near, you know, a possibility until the marijuana initiative.
0: Um, which brings me right into my next question. Who is Ben Polera, and why were you kind of open to listening?
1: Ben to Polera, Polera. <clears throat> called me. He's a political operative. He called me up and he said, I'd like to have lunch with you. He takes me to a place in Lake Mary. He asked me what my thoughts were on medical marijuana. I said, I'm 100% for it. My brother is a quadriplegic. He relies on it heavily to get through the day. He said, I thought so. He goes, would you be interested in helping us put this amendment on the ballot? And I said, I said, I would. I said, "I, I believe that this is the type of thing that that i look at as philanthropy that the money that i gave to that whole campaign i didn't look at it as political i looked at it as philanthropy and so i started doing it and then what happened is one thing led to another and i just kept putting money in money in money in money in people weren't joining in and so i was kind of the guy out there you know holding the bag and became the chairman
0: um Obviously, it took a couple of times, but you got the, uh, the you got a medical marijuana uh, uh, amendment uh, to the to the Constitution changed. Uh, Floridians have voted to legalize it, um, but uh, how has the legislature done with regard to making it available to the folks that need it today?
1: Well, the legislature first of all banned smoking, so I've had to sue the Florida legislature to allow smoking. Uh, in my in my intent l- document, it clearly laid out that we wanted smoking, In the amendment itself, it said that smoking was not allowed in public. I don't think you have to be too uh, too deductive to understand if it's not allowed in public, it is allowed in private. So, so I'm suing them to allow smoke. Smoke for some people is the best. Uh, vehicle and the most immediate vehicle for relief <clears throat> the municipalities and cities some of them are banning dispensaries in their cities which I find just you know uh, typical but also outrageous I mean you got communities where this amendment passed with 80% of the vote in, in high 70's and they're banning dispensaries in their cities but I said that you know when I was out there debating sheriffs. I said, "Look, this is a possibility," and because they would, all, the sheriffs would always say, "There's going to be a pot shop next to every school," and we don't. I'm like, "No, it's not. There's not a strip club next to schools. There's not liquor stores." But what I think will happen is, I think a lot of these commissioners will lose their positions because the electorate's going to rise up and go, "Look." We wanted this. You didn't give it to us. You're making us drive from, you know, point A to point Z when we should be able to get it right in our own homes, right in our own home districts. Uh, and over time, they'll be everywhere. It'll be it'll be like, you know, uh, as much as the demand is, they'll, they'll be there.
0: What are the next steps for the legalization of marijuana? I mean, obviously, you support a broader legalization, it sounds like, based on your conversation this morning. Uh, but what... Where does this that, movement go from?
1: There? I think we it's happening. Look, California is going to go. I was out <coughs> last week at a company called Weed Maps uh, in Calton, Irvine. It's legal now in California, it's legal in Colorado. What's happening is over time, it's breaking. The walls are breaking down. People didn't really understand what it was. You know, older folks Don't know the difference between marijuana and heroin and lsd and acid and mushrooms they just put it all in one bucket and i think for the people who are 75 and under believe it or not look we grew up around it we went to you know whether you're republican democrat libertarian you you grew up going to college and it was there and guess what everybody went on and did fine and so i believe that the time has come to have the full legalization Of marijuana, it is a job creator. It is a tax revenue uh, generator. It is a um, it enhances real estate, Uh, and so it's not a matter of if; it's just a matter of when. Uh, And you're seeing walls broke down. I mean, Orrin Hatch recently kind of came out in favor of medical marijuana. You're seeing some of these older folks who've been deathly afraid of marijuana start to think, you know what, maybe so. You go out and you get drunk on vodka tonight, and you wake up you can't go to work. If you get high, you wake up and you go to work. Job productivity is one of the big killers of job productivity in America is alcohol and the hangovers and results from the, the night before. So mm-hmm. I, I think the time has come. I think the majority of Americans want it. And I don't think it's a Democrat Republican issue. I think it's just a people issue.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I also, uh, I guess, shifting gears a bit, I wanted to uh, I wanted to get your reaction to the uh, the hashtag Me Too movement and uh, really some of the some of the crazy news we're hearing about it down in Tallahassee with the the atmosphere where some uh, some of the uh, sexual harassment and inappropriate relationships have been. Uh, bantied about in the last week or so, especially. Um, I, I guess, what's, I don't know, what, what, what are your thoughts about that situation at this point?
1: My thoughts are, you know, I agree with the Pam Bondi. I believe that if someone's going to be accused, that the accuser should have to come forward. To have, not to be able to confront your accuser, to me, does not seem to be just. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know who they are, but I agree with Bondi, and I don't agree with much of it with Bondi. But, you know, if somebody's going to come back five, six, ten years later and say, you know, he, this happened, it, it can't be in the shadows. It has to be in the daylight. Okay. And if it happened, mm-hmm. then, you know, everything that. You know, then, then everything that will happen will happen to that person.
0: Yeah. Um, you're a rich guy. Uh, <laughs> have you calculated how much you might benefit from the Republican tax plan? And uh, generally speaking, you think it's a good idea to add to the federal deficit by CBO projections—one point seven trillion dollars over the next ten years.
1: I think. Well, first of all, if they eliminate the estate tax. It is a gigantic uh, benefit to my children. Of course, I'll be dead, so I don't get to partake in that party. But it's it's it, it's you know, and look, I've been spending many many days and years trying to get around the estate tax to put things in trust and uh, so for, just day one the estate tax is gigantic and then there's a huge tax advantage to a lot of my businesses <clears throat> the real estate and the tractions, and the things where i have passive income uh so it's you know for john morgan the tax bill that they're talking about <clears throat> would mean uh millions and millions and millions of dollars a year extra in my pocket and for my children, the benefit is almost incalculable because I'm still making money, and you know, the difference between forty percent of my of my estate and zero is you know to be determined, but it's a big number.
0: Um, but is it worth um, you know a break like that? Uh, uh, it, i mean does that does that sort of uh i guess the the argument for it is that um that's gonna result in John Morgan wanting to create more jobs uh or pass along that wealth. i know that's By, the
1: that's the
0: that's the argument
1: the only thing that i've known that has ever trickled down is piss <laughs> and uh so when I think of trickle down economics I just think of you know piss and uh John Morgan's going to create jobs no matter what. I'm going to open up hotels. I'm going to build attract new attractions. It's not going to change anything about me. Uh, I'm not going to save more. I'm not a big spender. You know, I think I, you heard me at my at my speech. Maybe my wife really buys her jeans at Target and, and buys her uh, clothes at Ross Dress for Less and goes to the rack stores and... You know, Sam's and, you know, this B's, whatever that B place is over on Dunlawton. I don't know. But she'll drive, you know, 60 miles to get, you know, gas. But so I don't think it's going to have any effect on what I would do. That's the theory. Mm-hmm. That's the story that we're being sold, you know. Uh, and then the budget office says it's $1.7 trillion, And then the, I'm watching these guys saying, I don't believe our own budget office. They say, well, that's just... I just don't believe that. Well, what this really is, it's a payback to the very wealthiest donors who have made, you know, not just hundreds of thousands of dollars in donations, but millions of dollars in donations. And this is how they get their money back, plus, 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 plus. And uh, as I said at the speech, I, I, th- I find it perverted. I find it wrong. It's not going to benefit the middle class, I mean, they say the middle class will make $1,100 more. <clears throat> if you raise the minimum wage from $8 to $9, the middle class would make $2,000 more a year. If you raise it to $10, the middle class, not even the middle class, I mean, would make 4000 more. So it's a subterfuge, and it's really the reason we all despise politicians, because we all know what's going on here. Mm.
0: Um, okay, so you've hit it, and in, in you said earlier today you're thinking about running for governor. Um, I guess my question is uh, sort of, if you ran, wouldn't you ethically have to separate yourself from your company? And I guess personally I would have a hard time seeing yourself do that.
1: Well, um, se- se- from, yeah, I'd, ha- I'd have to separate myself from a lot of my companies. And, uh, you know, the good news is my wife's a lawyer. She's the other Morgan. She says she's the first Morgan. I, she's the Morgan first. I'm the second Morgan. I got three boys who are smart as hell. They've grown up in this business. And they could do it. They, they could run it. Um, I've got a pretty good management team. And more and more over the years, I'm, I'm less and less involved. I don't really have cases anymore. Um so, I think it would be fine. I think the structure's in place. I would never, I would never stay. I would never do two terms because I can't sit still long enough. And I think one term. I think if you can't get it done in four years, you can't get it done in eight years. So I would never limit myself uh, to being there for eight years. Up in Virginia, they they have a one term, and I think those governors tend to do a better job. You come in, get your get your priorities. My priorities are not, you know, my priorities are a living wage, restoring felons' rights, legalizing marijuana, protecting public schools and public school teachers. Uh, you know, so it's not like I've got this gigantic agenda uh, that it can either be done in 4 years or not. I'm not I don't need to be sitting there, you know, flailing away for 8 years to get, you know, something done that can't be done.
0: Mm. Um I guess uh, you know. I guess the other thing about this is uh, sort of the, the the Trump. I guess comparing it to President Trump, he's promised to extricate himself from his businesses, and he, he has taken some steps, but probably is not as many as many ethicists say he should have. Uh, his family is still in charge of the Trump organization, which is constantly facing these ethical questions about people are paying more and more attention to uh, who's. How many how many people are staying at the Trump Hotel in D.C. or wherever the Mar-a-Lago, the properties? Um, uh, I guess if you were to run or uh, and to win, uh, would you be? In, do, do, how would you separate yourself maybe better or more completely than than President Trump has? I think
1: I'd have to put you know everything in trust, and mm-hmm. I think I'd have to leave day to day. To the people who run my businesses and partners who run my businesses, you know I, that's a dis. I mean, everybody else that's running, many of them have never had a job ever except to be a politician. Uh, Phil is, you know, retired. I'm, I'm maybe the only person who's gainfully employed, and and has you know businesses. So it's more, it's much more complicated for a guy like me than for somebody. Who has you know been running for office since they were 18 years old mm-hmm. and has never? There's nothing to separate from. Uh, but it may be a benefit to me because people may say, you know what, this guy knows how to. This guy's made a payroll. This guy's run you know all sorts of successful businesses. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's it would be I think it would be challenging, <clears throat> uh, especially. And I've not even gotten into the weeds yet as far as what I would have to uh, walk away from entirely.
0: Um, yeah, I, I, on the other hand, I, I've seen you quizzing, uh, like on Twitter, you, you quizzing some of the other Democratic candidates about their positions on the things that you care about. Yeah. Um, uh, it, 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 at this point, has there, are, is part of your calculus that there just isn't another Democrat who you feel... Has the same concerns or passions as you do? Well, or?
1: I think, yeah, I don't think there's another Democrat. Well, first of all, you know, it's a sorry state of affairs for the Democratic Party when I'm the guy leading the pack. <laughs> so, you know, let's start with that. That's that's how weak the bench is. Uh, I think the thing that's different for me and the rest of them is they're very calculated in their answers. They're, they're, they are so worried about giving an answer that could alienate this group or an answer that could affect the general election that they really never give an answer. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, I've, I've asked them all a very simple question. Are you in favor of legalizing marijuana in Florida? You can't get an answer. That's a yes or a no. And they don't want to answer it because they don't want to say. If they say yes, they worry they could alienate some people in a general election. If they say no, they worry about they could alienate Democratic voters. The, the the real luxury I have is that if it doesn't, if this doesn't come to be, I'm not crushed and destroyed. You know, my fallback is I get to get up and be John Morgan tomorrow and and enjoy the life that I have. For for the, for most of these people this is this will be a crushing day if they don't win
0: uh i would be remiss if i didn't ask you more about the minimum wage which obviously uh today you you came out in support of a 15 dollar an hour minimum wage ultimately yes um can you just uh, tell me a little bit? Um, I, I think really what we're trying to do is get your get our listeners to read to to hear a little bit more from you about the argument for that. What's what's really how did this how did this sort of uh, come to be in your mind uh, one of the chief issues that we should be talking about?
1: The the where it first came to my mind was a few years ago. Uh, the Second Harvest Food Bank was going to expand and build a gigantic center in um, orlando and they came to me <clears throat> to make a multi-million dollar donation to help build it and so i listened to them they told me how much more food we could you know fresh produce if we you know all the all the pros for building a new center and so i, I went along with it <clears throat> and we built and it. It's now called the morgan morgan hunger relief center at second harvest But when I get down there, when I start looking around, I see the people that are coming in. You know, a lot of our minds, people may think, well, the people that are coming in are, you know, homeless and migrant workers and so forth and so on. But the people who walk in those doors, and by the way, we also supply 55 food banks in Central Florida. The people who are coming in there are people who are leaving grocery stores with uniforms on. People that are leaving, you know, the army with uniforms on. People who are out in the fields every day working their asses off. You know, perhaps the receptionist here at the news journal. It's not. It's people who get up and every day work their asses off, and at the end of the day, don't have enough money for food. And for me. For me, dignity is all about food, water, shelter, medicine. And for me, at this age, I can sit back and do nothing or say nothing about it, or I can do something about it. And I feel I, I, I feel when I give money to things or I do things, I call it God whispers. I say, you know, You'll know when it's something you're supposed to do something when God whispers in your ear when He says, you know, I really think you should do this. I really think you should do that. I think you should do this. And for me, the best way to describe it is a God whisper that He's saying, you have these resources. You've heard what I've taught you in church. You know, go do something. And for me, just you know, not not you know, religion without action to me is not religion. And, and by the way, I'm not the holiest guy in the world. And by the way, I'm a, you know, a, you know, a, a, a center of, of gigantic proportions. But I just don't think you can live the life you're taught to live and just sit back and watch other people suffer when you have so much. And I do believe that if there is a God, and I hope there is a God, that there's that there's going to be a judgment, and they're going to say, look. You, you had so much and you did so little. I want to be able to answer the question. You know, I answered I answered the whisper.
0: Well, I think that's a good point to leave it off and I appreciate your taking time to come in and talk with us. Very Thanks, welcome. John Morgan. Thank you. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.